It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and today we are going to get behind the curtains a little bit and talk to the folks at um, Cedar Falls, Iowa, which for all of you folks who are uh, regularly listening to the show, this was ground zero for what I refer to as the unveiling of the Obama Broadband Doctrine, in which he laid out in no certain terms uh, how important and how valuable uh, community broadband is and how we have to work at making it easier for communities to get involved with their networks, not harder, as some states have done. And a large part of this is, um, uh, I think, the um, there's a change that's happened as people have realized how much uh, broadband has has made and is making a difference in their lives and in their communities. And as I spoke to um, one editor of a publication earlier today, communities, whether it be the municipalities or public utilities, are the ones out there getting it done. They're the ones with gigabit networks. We got about 40 of those. There's about 140 that just that have fiber um, networks all providing high-speed Internet access at affordable prices. And in many places, uh, they're in locations where there would not be any broadband if it wasn't for these um, community networks. So so today's show, I'm very happy to have uh, Bob Seymour, who is with the Economic Development uh, Department for Cedar Falls, and Curtis Dean, who is with the um, uh, Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities, who has a perspective on what's going on within the entire state. Both of these gentlemen were at the uh, big event in Cedar Falls, got to meet the president. I won't tell you how jealous I really, really am of that, but I'm very happy to have both of you on the show today. Thank you, Craig. Craig, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yes, and I think for, for Curtis, he's been here before, so he's kind of old hand and probably very relaxed and sipping his coffee during this interview. Bob, this is the first time we've had the uh, the economic development side from Cedar Falls. We actually have had uh, um, uh, Betty Zaman from the uh, Cedar Falls utility on, and she talked to us a lot about the technology and the technological success of the network. Um, with you, we're going to start off by asking, Bob, what has been – some of the economic development impacts of your network. And now your network is 20 years old in give or take a month. So I'd like you to break the answer down into what have been, what were, what were some of the uh, economic development impacts before you got the gigabit, and then how has having a gigabit moved you even further down the path of really uh, putting some jet rockets under your economic development? Absolutely, Craig. As you mentioned, uh, we actually had our communication utility established in 1994, so we have had it in place for 20 years. And, and what I kind of describe it as, it's really been a process. Um, back when the broadband system was established in 1994, it was new. Uh, people didn't know what to expect, expect, and it's really been a process. It allowed us over the last 20 years to really build up kind of a core network of tech companies in Cedar Falls. And, uh, you know, we've been able to grow those companies over the last 20 years with CFU continually upgrading their system. And, uh, again, that whole process of letting those companies grow as the broadband system grows, grow their facilities, grow their employment, grow the cluster of tech companies. And now with the president coming into town here a week or two ago, what we're really hoping to do now is capitalize on branding ourselves as that new tech capital of the Midwest and uh, allow for that gigabit city moniker, if you will, 
to really reach that next level and let folks know that Cedar Falls really is the tech capital of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So you've um, obviously, I think I've noticed a change uh, just in the year since you've upgraded to having uh, the, the gig. What would you say has been the biggest uh, win in, in, in this time slot? Well, I think the biggest win so far is, and we talked a little bit before the show started, the biggest challenge we've typically faced on the economic development side, whether it's traditional or with uh, with the broadband, is the perception of Iowa being rural and a little bit un, unsophisticated. And you know, Cedar Falls is trying to break that uh, you know that perception for quite a long time, and I think this really uh, allows us to get that uh, point out that not only do we have the traditional economic development assets, but we're the only one here uh, in the Midwest and one of three that I'm aware of in the U.S. that has complete gigabit service to any business or any resident uh, in in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, actually I got a note from, from Betty actually last week about the uh, the network and your business customers, and it seems that, Oh, you guys have had about a, a 38% of your uh, businesses have now moved to uh, either a 100 megabit service or a gigabit uh, service. And and the question I have is that um, I know that, that, that the effort of economic development is to both make your current businesses uh, successful and more successful, and the other goal is to bring in new businesses. Um, do you think that uh, the biggest impact of the gigabit is going to be uh, its impact on local businesses, and it'll be down the road before you start seeing uh, an impact on attracting new businesses? I really do, Craig, and, and I kind of use this. You know, what we've developed over the last twenty years is a system that gives the businesses that have either started here or have grown here, there's really no technology-related reasons for those companies to even look outside of this area to expand their operations or relocate their operations. And, and that has been critical in our efforts so far. And as you mentioned, now we have that opportunity to take it to the new level, to reach out to startup companies, and to those companies that are looking to get out of maybe the East Coast or West Coast into a little laid-back atmosphere, but yet have the best broadband system available to them. And, you know, we couple that with the low cost of general utilities, the cost of living, the productivity of the workforce. We think we can make a pretty strong case here, again, to to make ourselves that tech capital of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So now, Curtis, you have... um what, 100 or so members of your association from all of the public utilities within Iowa? Actually, we have uh, 540 members um, of our association. Now, um, most of those are water utilities. We have about 140-ish electric utilities that are municipally owned, uh, about 50 gas utilities, uh, and then 28 that are doing broadband. Okay. So what's your take of the economic, uh, either the economic impact that the network has had on your members or the impact of using uh, their networks as an economic development tool? Has, how successful has that been? Well, I think, first of all, you know, hats off to the folks in Cedar Falls and, and, and Bob in particular um, for really understanding what the economic development value of advanced broadband networks are. I think they're really ahead of the curve compared to a lot of other communities and and compared to a lot of other economic development um, leaders. Um, I think that broadband is still a little bit farther down the list for many traditional economic development folks um, than it should be. And I think that's certainly been the case in uh, some of the other communities outside of Cedar Falls and a few of the larger ones who have municipal broadband. Um, You know, I think that there is a tradition uh, within the municipal utility world, regardless of the type of utility, to be a quiet partner and not averse to blowing one's own horn, so to speak. And therefore, um, 
sometimes that message doesn't get out beyond the community that, hey, we've got a world-class network here. Uh, obviously, I think Cedar Falls has done a nice job with that. There's been a few of our other members that are doing broadband that have done a better job of, a good job of getting out the word and sharing that information with their economic development team. But I think it's still kind of a quiet, uh, a little bit of a secret. Um, and I think our members and, and other municipal broadband uh, providers need to do a better job of educating not only their own citizens about the value of that municipal broadband utility, but working closely with economic development folks to make sure the rest of the world understands the value of the types of networks that they operate. Okay. Now, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are folks who are wanting to know how, amongst all the, the cities that are out there that the president could have gone to, how did he? How did he end up uh, deciding that humble Cedar Falls was going to be where he's going to put it all on the line for community broadband? Well, I, I can tell you, Craig, it was a crazy whirlwind of a week here, <laughs> a week or so ago, and uh, apparently, my understanding of how this whole thing transpired is um, the White House and the president were going to make uh, an announcement in their push for community broadband. And uh, they had heard that Cedar Falls was a gigabit city. And I think they also were aware that we recently received an award from Google for uh, an eCity award for one of the strongest online business communities in each state um, as well. So somebody called CFU from the White House, and uh, they talked a little bit about the technical side of things and how the the network uh, worked and everything that has been done in terms of history, uh, the initial referendum, how it impacted businesses. And the next thing that we knew, uh, they were in touch with Cedar Falls Utilities, I think, on on a Wednesday. And by Thursday, there was an advanced team of 12 to 15 folks from the White House that were at uh, Cedar Falls Utilities, uh, looking at the facility from uh, a technical standpoint, from a PR standpoint, and from a safety standpoint. And next thing we knew, he was committed to coming here and making his uh, his big announcement. Mm-hmm. How has that How has that impacted the city? Oh, you know, it's it's been tremendous. I mean, quite honestly, you can't pay for that type of uh, public relations, and uh, we're real proud of. Uh, you know, of what we've done and what CFU has done and, and the partnership between the city and Cedar Falls Utilities. And we're just kind of right now uh, trying to figure out how do we how do we really capitalize on this and let the rest of the U.S. and the world know that, hey, Cedar Falls is a, is a force to be reckon, reckoned with. with. Uh, you know, we're open for business. We have uh, one of the best systems in the U.S. Come check us out. And that's what we want to do is once we get those folks to – realize where Cedar Falls is, and they actually take the time to visit us, uh, you know, we really we, we don't lose many prospects. And um, we're kind of riding that wave as well, again, with the Google Award. And then we were also recently uh, recognized by ZipRecruiter.com as one of the uh, 15 easiest cities in the U.S. to find a job. So we're kind of putting all those things together to put that perfect package in place. Mm-hmm. Now, both of you guys were actually at the event when he when 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 the president came to town. Yes. 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 So, what was that like? We'll start with we'll start with Curtis. What what was it like to actually meet? Well, what was it like to both meet the president, but also have him give such a ringing endorsement for the community broadband effort? Well, I know personally, I couldn't have written a script better than what ha- actually happened last Wednesday. It was everything that um, I would have hoped for, not only for the municipal broadband movement, but for the recognition of Iowa in general and Cedar Falls in particular as real leaders in municipal broadband efforts. So um, when I first heard about it, you know, it was it was it was you know keeping the fingers crossed to get the invitation finally was uh, given the notice that I was going to be able to go. I actually was able to um, score an invitation to the meet and greet that took place beforehand, so I got to shake the president's hand and get a picture taken with him. Um, and really the, the, the mood, the, the, the energy in the room was, it was really incredible. And uh, in a way it was kind of like a, um, a family reunion for a lot of the people who knew each other there. I, I was, you know, talking to several of the other CFU employees that I know well from over the years, and they were all just giddy about it. And I was kidding to a couple of them about, 
wow, I bet you'll be glad when this is over with because it's been a lot of hard work to get this ready. But they're all like, oh, no, this has been the, the best few days since I've since I've ever uh, you know been employed anywhere. So uh, it was the mood was really strong. The you know I, I kind of had an idea uh, that the, what the president's uh, address would look like, the advanced remarks that were given, but just to actually hear the words come out of his mouth, you know I just stood there with a big stupid grin on my face the entire time he was talking <laughs> because like I said I it was it was like one of those things that 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 happened that I couldn't have written the script better and it doesn't matter who who the president was um the the words that he said were something that would uh um you know resound throughout communities that are looking to um to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and take care of their own community needs through, if needed, municipal broadband systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I could just follow up on that, too, with Curtis. Um, you know, the neat thing about this event was it was limited to about 150, 175 folks. So it was an intimate venue, and you, you really got up close and personal. And you could see, uh, again, whether whether you agree with the president or not, that the, the passion for his uh, effort here with community broadband was was really evident that day. And, you know, it, it did a lot to help break that perception, again, of Iowa not being a technology leader and not having that technology capability. And just getting that, uh, that press uh, is huge. I mean, we, we spend every day trying to break that perception. And then the other thing that we really noticed, there was a lot of pride in that room from Cedar Falls mm-hmm. Utilities employees, from city employees, from some of our local businesses. You know, they had all been involved in this from 1994, and it really validated the investment that this community, not not just CFU, but the entire community made 20 years ago and their foresight to go ahead and start this system. And at that time, it was a huge risk, but we had 70% support on that initial referendum. And that, that event really validated a lot of that work, a lot of that effort, and a lot of that investment that everybody in this community has made. You know, what's interesting to to me, Craig, is that, um, and I alluded to this earlier, um, municipal utilities are kind of, they kind of go about and do their business pretty quietly. Uh, The communities in which they work are very well acquainted with the advantages of a municipally owned broadband, electric, natural gas, water, whatever that utility is. So, uh, but very rarely do they get recognition beyond the borders of their own community. So, um, when I when I saw you know some of the people that I know well at CFU, um, you know I could I really appreciated what they had to be feeling about, wow, you know, it's nice to know that we know we've been doing the right thing. We know we've been doing it for years. We've been doing the right thing for the right reasons. And it's really nice to see somebody outside of Cedar Falls recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I would <clears throat> venture to say that um, all of us broadband advocates and champions around the U.S. shared in that uh event and that feeling because it really validated a lot of the work that that we on the uh on the national level have been doing and and in fact uh there was in Kansas City a gathering of representatives from about 35 cities and and the folks in 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 Kansas City Missouri and Kansas City Kansas and we were there for a whole big sort of rah rah but also planning session how to get communities you know better engaged more fully engaged in their broadband planning and we pretty much uh, paused the conference to stop and watch uh, the president's remarks in Cedar Falls. And the electricity in our gathering was, was probably pretty close, but not quite, to the, to the electricity there in Cedar Falls because it was like everyone's um, commitments. I mean, we had people there who had been doing broadband for a while that had gone through a whole lot of you know fighting to get their broadband networks online. You have people on the fence looking over trying to figure out if they should actually go make the plunge. You know, it was like in that moment in time, all of these folks were were really feeling, you know, the positive vibe about, uh, you know, what was going on there in Cedar Falls. So we we were there with you. We were there with you in spirit, definitely. (laughs) Um, But there's now there's there's a question that comes up, right, because once the president made the announcement about getting involved and, rolling back some of these state laws, you know, the usual hacks and flacks rolled out to, you know, criticize these networks. And the first thing out of their mouths is almost always these networks are failures. 
But, Bob, you, you guys have been doing this for 20 years, and I have to imagine that if you have a network running for 20 years, it still gets public support. You started with 78% of the population supporting the network back in the beginning. You must have some kind of a success on your hands. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you mentioned earlier that 38% of the businesses uh, apparently are, are utilizing the one gigabit service already. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, you know, for, for under a year having the, uh, you know, about a year having the, uh, the capability in place. But, yeah, we, we have a, a success. We have a cluster of technology companies uh, that have started here and that have grown here. And we're in the process right now of trying to quantify you know, what the investment is, what the payroll is, and more importantly, do they have the ability to draw other tech companies to this area? And that's where, where we really want to go next is, uh, you, you know, start reaching out. We, we've taken care of our own companies. We've let them grow here. Now can we partner with those existing tech companies, draw on their network, and see if there's other companies or businesses or startups that uh, – you know, they can help us with, open that door, make the initial contacts, so we can then go in and do our traditional marketing to them and, and sell the community to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand, Cedar Falls is uh, a city of just under 40,000 people, and about eleven or 12,000 of those are college students at the University of Northern Iowa. But we have an industrial and technology park that has over 170 companies, uh, about 7.5 million square feet of buildings, and 7,000 employees that utilize uh, the facilities that we have in town every single day. And I think that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So now, Curtis, let's talk a little bit about, uh, we we had mentioned right in the the warm-up or the run-up to the show, uh, the the successes that are being had by the members of of your uh, organization. But just reiterate, what, what are the... What are the successes, or what are the levels of successes that you're seeing in the uh, in, in the public utility space within Iowa? Sure. Uh, well, first, if I if I can, I'd like to reflect on what you mentioned earlier, Craig, about um, the the usual um, rants that happen from large privately owned companies talking about municipal broadband failures. Um, Certainly, we we saw some of that after the president's speech. Certainly, we'll continue to see that as we move forward. But not only do I reject that label of failure, but I reject the concept that failure or success means the same for a municipal entity than it does for a private business. You got to remember, um, none of the communities that are involved in broadband got into that business for the same reasons that an owner of a private cable company did. Those owners of those private entities, those cable companies, those large ISPs, they got into the business, um, and thank goodness for good old American capitalism, but they got into it to make money. Um, None of the communities in Iowa or anywhere else that are doing broadband systems got into it to make money. They got into it to serve an unserved community need. And so the definition of failure or success is different. The failure or success is not based on what your return on your investment is and putting a 40% profit margin into the pockets of shareholders. It's whether or not that entity, that municipal broadband in this case, has made your community a better place to live, work, and play. And in every case, that's been exactly what has happened. So um, I, I not only reject the idea that these municipal broadbands are a failure, but I reject their way of defining what failure or success means. Um, when you look at, back to specifically the, the communities in Iowa, um, you, you, you might decide that failure or success means something about is, is it supported by the community 20 years after it was started in the case of Cedar Falls and in some of our other ones maybe closer to 10 years. Well, if you look at the statistics um, that our members tell us, by far most of them have over 70% of the broadband customers in their communities. So that means that the community decided and voted with their pocketbook, so to speak, that the offerings that the municipal broadband provider was giving were better 
than the private competitor. And all of our members have co competition. None, not, none of them are in a, in a monopoly situation. So they have to earn that business every day, and they continue to earn it and keep those customer counts high, even though there are more choices for them for their voice, video, or data offerings. So, you know, that to me says they must be doing something right if they're getting 70-plus percent of people in their community to sign on board with the municipal provider. I don't know about where you're from, Craig, but I'm born and raised in Iowa, and you can't get 70% of the people in Iowa to agree what color the sky is on any given day. To get them to all say, I want that company to give me my Internet, that's a pretty strong testament to what success means in Iowa's municipal broadband utilities. Mm -hmm. And If I could just follow up on that, too, I, I think uh, Curtis made a really good point, and I happened to be here back in 1994 when, uh, when the initial referendum took place. And, and, and Curtis hit it right on the head. There was an unmet community need of the citizens. And we had tried and tried to work something out, but the, quite honestly, the private sector wasn't going to meet what our community wanted and what our community needed. And, uh, you know, that's how this whole thing started because we had an un unmet community need. The citizens demanded more. CFU demanded more. The city demanded more. And the only way we were going to get it is to go through that public referendum. And, again, 70% support initially is, is tremendous. And I'm going to guess today, if it was up to uh, a vote here to establish a, an upgrade of some sort, it wouldn't surprise me if it was 80 to 90% support of our general citizens. And, and, and I think that speaks volumes for what CFU has done, not only on the broadband side, but with the rest of their utilities and, um, you know, and that partnership that the city has with CFU. Mm -hmm. it, kind of to add to that, too, you know, what's interesting, you talk, uh, um, Bob, you talk about the unmet community needs. We're seeing that today as we, whenever the word gigabit comes up, you hear the uh, large ISPs, uh, the cable companies, and, and others say, well, why? You don't need a gigabit. You don't need a gigabit in Cedar Falls, Iowa. You don't need a gigabit in Des Moines, Iowa. But my point is, I should get to decide if I need that. And I should be able to decide as a community that if I think that's a need in our community, I should have the right to make that happen. So, in other words, a local business, does that local business want someone in Denver or New York telling them what they need or deserve? Or is it, should it be somebody in their own community that be able, is be able to tell them what level of service they need? It, mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. I don't need a gigabit service in my home. But I want it. Now, I'm not going to get it because I live in the Des Moines area. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. If I could telecommute from Cedar Falls, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, but it's the, it's the same argument as, you know, I don't I, – if I want to be able to have transportation, I don't need a $50,000 SUV. I could – Get, do that same transportation with a $2,000 beater off of a used car lot somewhere. But you know what? If I want it, why, can't I, why shouldn't I be able to get it? If I want it and I want to pay for it. Right. And what you have is the big companies are basically telling people, you don't need that, you don't deserve it. And that's always... That always gets my blood pressure going. And so <laughs> I won't, I won't <laughs> well, mine too, obviously. my usual rant today, but... I understand fully where you're coming from. But in Missouri, um, <clears throat> Missouri is facing uh, not. It's, it's kind of interesting. So Missouri already has a fairly restrictive um, broadband law, but there was a loophole that, that by some fluke got into the law, and uh, and 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 Columbia, Missouri decided, you know what, we're going to take advantage of that loophole because we need better broadband, and even though we're surrounded by incumbents, we're not getting what we want. So now the legislature or the legislators in favor with the telcos have introduced a law that's actually more restrictive than the one that went before. And, you, you again, you hear the same arguments, the same arguments all the time, you know, one, these networks are not, you know, these networks are not successful. Clearly, you guys have addressed the issue of success. The other issue, which is really laughable, but maybe I'm just old, jaded, and cynical, but <laughs> the other argument is that these networks are unfair competition. So uh, start, starting with, with, with Bob, what's the truth behind that? 
Well, I, I don't know how it can be unfair competition when uh, an entity isn't willing to make a commitment to our business community or to our citizens. Um, you know, if if somebody didn't step up and take the lead on this, what options does a business have? What option does a citizen have if they want that service or they need that service? So, you know, we haven't seen it as unfair competition. Uh, the private entities could provide the same service if they wanted to. But, uh, you know, I think Cedar Falls Utilities took the bull by the horns. They, uh, the public took the bull by the horns. And for anybody to complain about uh, competition right now, I say go back 20 years, where were you then? And uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I guarantee you, if you ask the majority of the citizens in this community right now, it's not even an issue they, they validate, not, not even an issue. Right, right. Now, I, I, I understand where they're, they're coming from. Uh, Curtis, I'm going to ask you now to speak for all of Iowa, what, yeah. <laughs> or at least for your members. What's your take on the unfair competition argument? Well, I think that um, if you're a large telecommunication company, then any competition is going to feel unfair to you because it forces you to... Um, probably spend more and earn a little less in order to keep the customers. Um, so they can scream unfair competition, but re- what, what really they're against is competition. And most Americans have two choices for advanced broadband services. Um, most economists don't define a duopoly as competition. It's just a monopoly plus one. So <laughs> any competition is probably painful if you are in a particular business. But but I, I'll go back to what Bob said. Each of those companies has a choice in whether or not they want to compete in the, in the area of advanced broadband services. You know, you saw, I, I saw a, 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 a study that was done by a, um, a, a law firm that is, of course, you know, I'm sure the study was probably paid for by some of the large telecom companies that basically said, well, you know, pl- places like Cedar Falls are building these networks when there's no evidence that customers want those services yet. And, you know, my answer to that is, well, you know what? Um, maybe instead of just trying to build your network and provide services that are just good enough to keep people from throwing a brick through your window, what if you got out in front of and met the needs of your customers in, in advance of when they need them so that when the customer does need 100 meg or a gigabit or whatever, that you don't have to then scramble to meet that need or let a competitor meet that need. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy when, and I understand the economics of it, building these networks is expensive and the rates of return are are maybe not as great as 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 they would like, but you know you have the you as a network provider have a choice on whether or not you want to meet the needs of the consumer, and if you if you do, then unfair competition won't be an issue because you'll continue to be their provider of choice. And I want to point to one thing that is is an interesting thing that's happened here in Iowa. You know we have 28 municipal broadband utilities in the state. And in almost every case, except kind of in one, those municipal broadband utilities were built or or overbuilt over an existing old mobile company or an existing large uh, uh, cable TV company. In addition to the 28 broadband utilities we have, the munis, we have 140-some small independently owned rural telephone cooperatives. And for the most part, communities cities have not overbuilt a rural telephone cooperative and the reason is because the local telephone cooperative has a stake in the community they have that's their home too so they tend to do a much better job of meeting their community's needs and therefore there is no need for a municipal broadband system so it, it, you know if if the large telephone companies and cable companies want to cry in for competition uh, maybe they should take um uh you know, take a page out of the book that the rural independent telephone companies have done, uh, who've been very aggressive in building fiber networks all the way to the home for the past 10 years. 
And it really comes down to, in my opinion, being proactive versus being reactive. And Cedar Falls Utilities and the city have always prided themselves on being proactive and getting out ahead of our citizens' needs and our business needs, where some Mm -hmm. of these private entities are reactive. And you mentioned if we weren't proactive and we waited around and our businesses said, hey, you guys are behind the eight ball now, we're moving we would be crucified for not being proactive and getting out ahead of their business needs. Where a private entity can be reactive because they don't have to worry about the political pressure of losing a company, a political pressure of a, of a company not locating here. But we have to make sure that we're proactive and that we can cater to our businesses and meet their needs. And, and I think that's the big key is proactive versus being reactive. And if you want to talk about something that's unfair, let's take a look at the video market. The the big cable companies uh, like Comcast, and I'll use their name because they're not in Iowa. The big companies like Comcast pay they pay up to forty, fifty percent less for cable video programming than do small companies. Is that fair to a municipal broadband operator who's can only charge you know um, enough to barely pay the programming charges? They're not able to. They're not able to recover any margin on those services versus a big company, but because of their size, they can uh, negotiate better cable programming rates. So that's unfair in a way, but you don't see us crying about it. Mm-hmm. So let's look at um, re- uh, recreating success, right? So Bob, you have the advantage of. 20 years of having a network. I mean, the community does. Uh, Curtis has the vantage point of, you know, looking at what your various members are doing. Um, Starting with with Bob, how would you recommend, you know, maybe the top one or two, three ideas of how other communities can get in this and be successful? Well, I think one of the important things that Cedar Falls Utilities in the city really did well 20 years ago was educate the public and listen to the public. You know, this this idea came from the business community and from the citizens. And there was a series of educational meetings, um, you know, outlining the exact intent of what you propose to do with the system and be right up front on what it's going to cost and, uh, you know, what the expectations are. And then I think the second thing that uh, we were able to do and CFU was able to do was get the buy-in and the, and the participation of the business community. Even 20 years ago when this was a, was a new concept, the businesses knew that they needed to change and that we were going to be changing to, a, you know, to the digital era, if you will, and they were some of our biggest supporters. And uh, you know, third was partner with that utility company. I mean, the relationship between the city and the utility provider, uh, in our case, CFU, obviously, was huge. Um, You have to have trust, you have to be on the same page, and you have to have the same end goal. And and I think that's been very important in our success is we're on the same page. They're part of our economic development team. We're part of their development team. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where without that partnership, you're not going to succeed. Hold, hold on one second. Let me interrupt you for one second. I think I have a. Is there a hello? This is Gigabit Nation. Is there a call on the line? Yes, there sure is, Craig. It's Chuck Sherwood calling. Chuck, how are you? Several years ago, uh, I attended a conference at which uh, Jim Baller was speaking, and I'm sure folks, your guests, uh, know who Jim is. And one of the interesting things that he pointed out was that Cedar Falls is on one side of the river and there is another rather well-known Iowa town on the other who chose not to go for municipal broadband. And Jim did a comparison of the impact of the economic development that both of those municipalities have experienced Uh, and really pointed out how Cedar Falls was in much better shape. I'm just wondering if your guest would, uh, you know, further elaborate on that. 
Well, here, here's what I would say. We have been tremendously pleased with our success in the economic development arena. And the, the community, Waterloo right next door, and Cedar Falls are different. We have different needs, different assets. But, uh, yeah, there, there's no doubt that we believe we've been successful in our economic development efforts and that broadband has been a player in that success over the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of calls from companies not only next door to us, but from other areas uh, outside of Cedar Falls saying, hey, can Cedar Falls Utilities bring that service to them? Or they say, you know, we, we have to be in Cedar Falls um, and get that service. But it, to me, there, there's no doubt that having the broadband system in place has been a tremendous asset to our economic development efforts. In all things even, if nothing else, it puts us over the top. It's just another tool, another asset that, quite honestly, there's not many communities in the U.S. that can offer it. And um, it's something that we market, something that we're proud of. And, uh, yeah, it, it has made an impact in our success, undoubtedly. Well, I also and I would just that one of the reasons why the president chose to speak uh, in Cedar Falls is because of Governor Branstad's uh, ambitious uh, plans for Connect Every Acre, uh, and a has gone to the Republican-dominated state legislature, and he is, of course, a Republican governor. Uh, to get a significant uh, amount of money uh, in this coming budget to go ahead and start building out the rest of the state. I'm just wondering if uh, if you could comment on that. And also, isn't Iowa one of the states uh, where the legislature passed the uh, ALEC-inspired barriers to entry legislation, and how are you all dealing with that? Well, I can, Chuck, I can tackle the, 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 the last couple of points there. Iowa's actually, um, the, ALEC, uh, the ALEC legislation you're referring to, to, to throw up roadblocks and barriers from municipal broadband, um, that ALEC-inspired legislation has been... Um, has been introduced and brought up in the past, um, but it's never been successful here. Um, one thing I've noted, and I've been involved in, in, in this world since 1998 in Iowa, that broadband has generally not been a partisan issue here. Uh, to give you an example of that, one of the best and, and biggest supporters of, of the right of municipals to form broadband utilities back in the 90s was Congressman Steve King um, when he was still in the state Senate. And Steve King is identified by most as one of the most anti-government uh, conservative members of Congress. But he was in the trenches um, working very hard to try to block any of that uh, anti-municipal legislation back in the 90s, primarily because he just believed in home rule. He believed that local citizens should have the right to make decisions that benefit their own community, and those decisions shouldn't come from Des Moines or Washington. Um, so, so I think the, the atmosphere has been very conducive to that. Um, the governor's um, initiatives have, you know, uh, so far not borne any fruit. Last year, there was a his bill was uh, pretty much watered down, and then eventually just kind of died. Um, and he's trying again this year. So, I, I think it probably helped that uh, Brandstad had been on the record earlier saying we need to promote broadband in rural Iowa. But then again, I'm not sure there are any, there are any, any, uh, anybody in the nation that's not saying that right now. Uh, I think it would be political suicide to say, no, nah, we don't need to worry about municipal broadband in our rural areas. We're oh, just I, fine I, as I, it I, is. I can think of a few. <laughs> well, they may, they, may not, they, they may not say they want municipals involved, but I think everybody agrees on the need. The solution, who should provide the solution, may be up for disagreement um, in many of those areas. Well, uh, absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. Well, those those thank are good questions, and, so and definitely adds a couple of key things. And always, thanks for listening in. Chuck is one of my long-term listeners from back in the early days, three years ago, when uh, Gigabit Nation started. So I'm always happy to have Chuck on board. And when he calls in, he does have a good question or two to ask. So much, much appreciation there. No one, problem, one I, 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 do, I do want to throw in... Um, 
so yes, it's true that there isn't an ALEC-like bill that that made it into law in Iowa. But what the legislators did do was they defaulted to a rule that governs all utilities, which is basically um, if you're going to be a, in essence, a broadband utility provider, you have to get a referendum passed, which has met with um, different levels of success uh, within Iowa. I think it's a question of, you know, doing it maybe once or twice, um, because as we saw in Colorado, a couple of cities got totally um, swamped by the dollars that were spent to kill their referendums that the big uh, incumbents spent. But my question actually is more about if I look at uh, uh, Missouri, right? So Missouri, their legislature or legislator has come up with this bill, and it does a couple of things. But one of those is it mandates a feasibility study. Um, it mandates a referendum. And uh, it does this, it makes its requirements for any service that a city wants to do. So it's kind of extremely broad. But but coming back to the referendum question, um, how big of a detriment is that? Because it seems like it's being introduced now where it hasn't been in a while. In other words, the, the, the laws requiring referendum or referenda were very popular to pass in 2003-2004. Now, mm-hmm. there are other bills that were passed which were extremely more restrictive, created different kinds of barriers and hurdles that you had to leap through. Now, all of a sudden, out of the blue, Missouri brings back an old favorite and says, you folks have got to now have a, uh, a referendum. From either you know Bob's perspective, I don't know, if Bob, if you were around 20 years ago at Cedar Falls when they got going, but 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 Curtis obviously seeing the, the the state at large, is the referendum requirement, you know, is is this something that we should worry about? Are there things about it that we may not be seeing that we should fear and push back hard against that uh, attempted bill? What's your thought? Maybe sure. we'll start with Bob and then go to to, to Curtis. Yeah, and, and I happened to be here in '94 when uh, the referendum in Cedar Falls was voted upon, and you know, at that time, and this is just my my personal perspective and recollection from 20 years ago, was that's something that that wasn't feared. I think that CFU and the city wanted to be open with its citizens, and uh, you know, I, I think at that time, particularly, there was a lot of angst and, and frustration with with uh, the options that were available. And so, again, it goes back to part of that was an information campaign, and uh, it also helped that CFU has a tremendous reputation of providing great service. But, you know, I, I don't think that was a was an issue or a hurdle at all, and it actually turned out to be somewhat of a positive thing because, I mean, it undoubtedly showed by 70% support that this is what the business community and this is what our citizens wanted. And so, you, you know, I... It was not a negative for us. It was a positive, and I think it really showed community was ready. And I would expect that communities today that want to get into this field, uh, you know, that hopefully they can see the benefits of uh, what Cedar Falls has learned over the last 20 years and some of those other communities that took that leap, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And just to be and- curious, did they, uh, Curtis, I, I do want to hear your response as well, but uh, mm-hmm. Bob, was there any – incumbent opposition to the referendum when it was on the ballot? You You know, quite honestly, I don't recall any really organized opposition at that time. Um, Again, it's it's 20 years ago, and I just right now remember the 70% support, which spoke loudly to me and and still does to this day. I don't recall any uh, formal organized uh, opposition at that time. Okay. Yeah, I think think that the... uh, the incumbents are much more savvy about that now than they were in the early 90s. Even by the time we got to our referendum in Spencer, where I worked at, in 1997, um, the um, private, the, the the cable company, not the phone company, you ever heard a peep out of them, but the cable company was um, very active in a vote no campaign at that time. It didn't really do them a lot of good because our referendum passed with 91% approval Whoa. in Spencer. So. <laughs> uh, we, we at one time figured they spent about three hundred dollars per no vote um, on their uh, on their <laughs> campaign. You know, 
on the issue of referendums, Craig, we've had that discussion here at our association, and you know, I we don't think that the requirement of a referendum is is a bad thing, and and he, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, I think that citizens should be able to have a direct say in how they want their community operated. And when it comes down to something as important as forming a new utility, and it doesn't matter in Iowa, you have to have a referendum if you want to form a stormwater utility or a gas utility or whatever. It still requires that majority vote of citizens. Um, we don't think that's unnecessarily a big hurdle because it gives the citizens the opportunity to not only say what they want, but, as Bob alluded to, gives them some buy-in to um, to that new utility if it is created. Um, the second reason is, and this is just a little Iowa bragging here, Iowa voters are really pretty savvy. Um, you got to remember, every four years we just get blasted in this state with advertising dur during and before the caucuses. And I think Iowans are pretty skeptical about any of the scare tactic types uh, advertising that that a that a opponent to a municipal election might might see, um, they tend to be a little bit wary of that, and they tend to listen to the folks that they work with and go to church with rather than the uh, you know the big guys. So I, I think that the referendum is not an unnecessarily large hurdle here in Iowa, um, because and one reason is that you know we look at. There's been over 70 uh, uh, approved municipal broadband referendums in Iowa, but only 28 have ever built a network. So getting it approved at the polls has not been a problem. The bigger issue has always been financing, mm -hmm. and that continues to be a, 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 a tough issue for many communities. So did you say 70 utilities approved? Or yeah, I don't know the exact – I can't remember the exact number. It's like 70, 70 plus have – have okay. voted yes on a referendum. There's been about 15 that have voted it down, and then um, out of that 70-plus, we have 28 that are actually operating some form of a, a utility right now with broadband. Which, again, well, I mean, I'm just sort of beating a pseudo-dead horse, which is that if you got 23 or 28 networks uh, all operating with you know some degree or great degree of success, you know, we really need to get those stories told over and over and over again because mm -hmm. we're kind of losing the soundbite war in uh, to these to these critics, and we really don't have to because we've got the track record on our side. So there you right. go. Now we got about eight minutes of time. I wanted Curtis to give an answer to the question because we got Bob's answer before uh, the call came in, but I also wanted to get uh, Curtis's answer on. Uh, you know, two or three key things to tell communities that are circling this issue, yeah, we got to, you know, do what in order to move forward. And I would just, you know, take out that one of those would be you got to get funding because clearly from your right. comment about the 28 out of 70, funding is, mm -hmm. is a big deal. But aside from the funding issue, what else would you tell communities? Well, I think it's important to um, that the that the effort in a community be driven by citizens, driven by business people, not necessarily the the city or the utility being the out uh, out front of it. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is that um, you need buy-in from the average Joe, so to speak. Joe Sixpack needs broadband, not just um, not just the mayor. Uh, now those 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 city officials, utility managers, city managers, whatever, they need to be part of that, but they should not be the ones carrying the water because if they're the ones that are the, the sole promoters of this, some citizens are going to say this looks like a power grab by this city, so they then become immediately skeptical. But if it's their local minister or the guy they're in golf league with or the friend from down the block that are the leaders of that municipal utility uh, grassroots campaign, it's much, I believe, much more likely to be successful. So that's one thing. Uh, number two, if there's going to be a referendum that is going to need to be passed, then the, the group that's advocating for the referendum to pass needs to treat it like a political campaign. Um, we've seen communities that have 
basically said, well, we're going to put it on the ballot. We'll just throw it out there, and we're not going to promote it yet. We're not going to promote vote yes. We're just going to let the citizens decide. Well, that's usually not going to be successful because the incumbent operator is going to spend whatever they want to spend to say vote no. So you need to have somebody out there that's, you know, might have to raise a few thousand dollars and make some yard signs and run some radio ads in your local station, but you need to operate it as if it's a political campaign. Uh, and, and, and because in most cases, most states, the city can't write a big check for advertising. They can only they can't advocate to vote yes or no. They can only advocate to vote. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's another takeaway I think. And then I think a third one is just make sure that your community is evaluating all your options. Um, it, you know, I, as much as I'm a, a promoter of municipal broadband and have been since, you know, the late 90s, I, I know that in some cases it may not be the right decision for a particular local u, uh, u, community. They need to do that evaluation themselves, though. It shouldn't be somebody else telling them what to do. So they need to do their due diligence. They need to find out what do we have in our community now? What is our broadband inventory, so to speak? Um, who are those providers? Uh, they need to go. They need to approach those providers and, and ask them, "What is your long-term plan for our community? Are you going to keep up with the broadband needs of our citizens? And um, if you aren't, why not? Um, and if you're not, then you need to understand that we're going to do this ourselves if we have to. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that there needs to be a lot of planning and, 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 and inward thinking before the effort were to start." Um, in order to make it more successful at the end. Everybody needs to know why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. you need to discover what your community's why is. Is your, community, is your community's why education or health care or economic development or quality of life? Is it some combination of those? Figure out what your why is because it might be different than Cedar Falls' why. And then use that to educate your citizens about um, the the, the uh, advantages that they would have with bringing that control of that why back home as opposed to letting somewhere someone five states away decide it for them. Okay, so we got about three minutes. I want you guys each take a minute uh, to answer the question first, first from Bob's perspective. Are the churches in various in your community or your your city engaged in supporting broadband and helping to drive the acceptance of broadband? And then, Curtis, your question is, are churches, in a general sense, a factor that should be cultivated more? So, Bob, go. we got a minute. Yeah, I've, I'm not aware of how important the church input is in broadband. I just don't know from, from our perspective. When we implemented this in, in 94, we tried to reach out to anybody that wanted to attend and wanted to hear. And that point of being citizen-driven in general is what's important whether it's citizens that own a business, citizens from a church, citizens from whatever, that was an absolute key is getting the citizen involvement to drive this and not be seen as a government-led installation. And so I I don't know specifically uh, what involvement for the church was, but it was certainly uh, a citizen-led initiative. Okay. And what I would say in in, in regards to that, Craig, is that – the the faith community and and especially in rural communities is an important part of that overall community mix. So that that community needs to be um, cultivated. So they need to understand what the impacts of it are for the people that worship at their local church. And I know one thing we happened in Spencer was when we went out and we talked to those folks, we made it clear that hey, we aren't gonna, we're not going to put any big barriers in your way if you want to broadcast your local church service. Uh, within a few years, we had seven or eight of them being broadcast every week on our local access channel that we created. So sometimes you just got to let them know, and then, and, and then they'll be they're like any other community um, group. They, they want what's best for their community. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that the the typical response I've heard to the, this question from other communities is that, you know, if they have a if they have a pulse, uh they have a voice in the community, uh everybody's welcome on board. Um I I think that that might be as a sub unit of of the community to market toward as these networks become more and more popular and as competition to them increases, you know, post build out 
I would say that the the church, the faith community, will probably be a market segment that will be important for broadband adoption. And, and one uh, of the things, one of the things, yes. quick on that, Craig. Churches are very sensitive to protecting the rights of the have-nots. Right. And uh, a a community broadband system generally there are there are many fewer have-nots because pricing is usually lower mm-hmm. and. Uh, ubiquity of availability is very important to municipal systems. So you have less of this have or have not situation. Right. So we're just about out of time. I want to thank both of you, Bob and Curtis, for a great show today. Uh, appreciate the behind-the-scenes peek of what went on when, when the president came to town. Uh, I've, I've managed to curb my jealousy to get through the show, and we'll be fine. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you guys are doing awesome work there. Thank you very, very much, and thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. And we'll be back next week with more great guests. Thank you, everyone, and talk to you again soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.